Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. It is Friday. That means it's Godzilla. My name is William Bibiani. <laughs> I am a critic. I write for The Rap, I write for Slash Film, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I contribute to Slash Film. I, I don't have a cute nickname, but uh, I, I like Godzilla's. I also like Godzilla's friend. Mm. In fact, uh, I was on the radio, uh, as of this recording, mm. uh, this week, to talk about the new Godzilla. That's true. Yeah. And we'll Godzilla be reviewing the new one. Godzilla Minus One. We'll be reviewing Godzilla Minus One on a different podcast. We're talking about older Godzillas here. Right. But if you are curious about the brand new Godzilla, Godzilla Minus One, we'll be reviewing it on... Uh, if you're listening to this on the Patreon feed, where you get uh, Thank Godzilla, It's Friday one week early, you'll be getting that review in a few days. And if you're listening to this on the main feed, well, you got it a few days ago. That's how time works. <laughs> um, but uh, it's funny, that's actually one of uh, at least two Godzilla movies uh, that will come out while we're doing Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, because there's also like... Godzilla X King Kong. Yeah, it's it's a collaboration. They're cutting yeah. a record together. <laughs> Godzilla featuring Kong. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> love it. Uh, so yeah, so that will actually be. I think on a previous episode I said Godzilla minus one will be the last Godzilla we do on this podcast proper without like breaking it up because mm. after we finish and after we do Godzilla X Kong, uh, and that will bring us up to date. In this summer, uh, the show will will be over. We'll we'll finish it. But every time a new Godzilla movie comes out, we will bring it back. Yeah, yeah. Because we just like Godzilla, damn it. Uh, and uh, this episode is actually about a movie I I hadn't seen, but I think oh. more than any other Godzilla movie that I hadn't seen, that I had heard of, this is the one I'd been wanting to get to longest. You were eager to see uh, what Biolante was all about? Actually, yes. Yes, I was. I saw, um, like, like in the 90s, I saw like a picture of Godzilla fighting Biolante, and I thought Biolante looked like the coolest kaiju ever. Just like a, this really interesting, <laughs> it's gigantic, like a, it's like a, strange monster. It, it's um, like a... a pile of crocodile with tentacles it's a really cool looking thing yeah and the, and the, honestly like the still image that i saw because this movie wasn't really properly released in america <coughs> for a really long time uh mm. the still image that i saw of it just made it look huge and interesting and scary and that that's a vibe i'd never gotten from any other godzilla movie i had seen or any other godzilla monster Mm-hmm. That I had seen. This one just looked like a really freaky monster, and I was really stoked to finally get around to it. And I'm going to say something right now, off the top. Did not disappoint. <laughs> well, I love Biolante. Biolante is a weird uh, idea for a kaiju, um, and yeah, we're we're now sort of kicking off. I think the Heisei era proper. Uh, we had Return of Godzilla. It was that could have been a one-off, as far as we knew. But now we're like really trying to make this into a series. We're following up on things that happened from Return of Godzilla and Godzilla 1985, uh, and we're using uh, kind of a new ethos with Godzilla. Godzilla was a little bit more of 
I, I guess a little bit more morally clear cut during the Showa era. Like he started out as a monster, then at slowly... least the second half. The second yeah, half and then sort of Showa drifting era, over to like guy. yeah, yeah. And in this one, Godzilla is like a little bit more biologically unstable, mm. and uh, seems to represent something horrible that's about to happen and how the influence of Godzilla is going to sort of bleed out into the world and make more monsters, which is the case with Biollante. We're also going to see that with Destoroya. Mm-hmm. Well, Destoroya is made from a weapon, but also um, Space Godzilla is coming in this era. Um, Godzilla is, like, fights other monsters, but it's still kind of this insidious presence. The tone is really different mm-hmm. There's for, a, th- for this whole, whole era. And it's also yeah. a lot more like sensational they're Mm. like we're in the 80s and they're doing the throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach because this movie has everything in it oh my god there's so much in this movie and and then the director uh openly said uh director kazuki omori uh Mm. has openly said that he didn't so much want to make a godzilla movie as he wanted to make a james bond movie and that really shows there's a lot of intrigue there's a lot of action sequences there's a lot of uh, we saw a lot of stories take place on the world stage, and yeah, there are boardrooms in this movie because it's a Godzilla movie, but the tone of it is a lot more suspenseful, and also the score of this movie, Godzilla vs. Biollante, the score of this movie is really interesting. Uh, it's done mm-hmm. by uh, Koichi Sugiyama, and uh, he'd done a lot of stuff for video games. He did like the Dragon Quest franchise, which is huge. Um it's got it's way more a lot of it feels like kind of american like when the super x2 you know the super mm. x battle fortress flying fortress from the first movie has been rebuilt and revamped and when that comes in the score goes full john williams just a very yeah, different yeah. tone than we're used to and it didn't have to go john williams or anything like that but just the sudden variety in musical tone is really interesting and apparently they used because he didn't i heard he like he didn't originally use a lot of the original score so they pulled like from like cover albums and things so there's like hard rock versions of the classic godzilla score which you know makes it feel a little dated it is like an 80s movie but it just feels gigantic in a way that not every Godzilla movie does, you know? Well, uh, we, we talked about this when we talked about Return of Godzilla, how uh, in between the show when 1975, you know, Terror of Mechagodzilla, and 1984, Return of Godzilla, that's when Star Wars and Steven Spielberg happened. Right. Like, in earnest. That's when a lot of blockbuster uh, and genre filmmaking changed. It's when money started being funneled into these genre films. Uh, film stocks started to evolve. Cameras were evolving. Films just started yeah. to look really different really quickly. Yeah. Uh, and this this movie came out in 1989. Uh, we're already well into that era in terms of... Uh, like the, that, This is the same year as like uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. No, no, or, excuse this is me, the same or, excuse me, Last, uh, Last Crusade. That's what the I meant trilogy had already oh. ended by the time yeah. this movie came out. Yeah. So, yeah, this is Godzilla kind of in the middle of that milieu. And this was actually, you know, relatively cheap movie to make. Mm. Doesn't look it. It looks really expensive. No. I think, um, uh, yeah. I think it was like only 15 million to make in 1989 dollars. Yeah. Uh, 
Which, although to be fair, that that's that can be a little misleading. Hold on, I want to look up a, a specific number here because, like, you know, that doesn't sound like a lot of money. And and to be fair, it it isn't. But when you adjust for inflation, it's quite a bit more. You know, the original Batman, uh, uh, Tim Burton Batman, hmm. that was a forty-eight million dollar movie. <coughs> Yeah, like the, yeah. The, nowadays it's it's big for you would be bigger for inflation now, but like at the time, like that's just how much blockbusters cost. Mm. Like Aliens, which was like this huge colonial marine spaceships, giant monsters everywhere movie. That was like cost thirty like, million, right? Oh, yeah. oh, no, I think it was more like sixteen. Like it oh, was. Gosh, okay. It was. Hold on, I'll, I'll look that one up too, just so I can I can say I did it uh, and make. Sure I just I, I, right. I remember that. Um, when uh, Star Trek Five came out, that was yeah. like grossly expensive movie, and it looked super cheap. Yeah. And you compare it to something like uh, Aliens, which cost like a fraction of the budget. Eighteen point so five better. million dollars in nineteen eighty six. Okay, eighteen point eighteen million five. Chris, when you're talking about Star Trek, you're, you have to pay for all those actors. You have to get them all true. back, and that's probably true. the the bulk of the budget. Yeah, no, that's uh, true. They're definitely. Uh, uh, when you talk about how huge like a movie's budget is, a lot of people assume that's all going into like production value. Mm-hmm. It's not. Uh, a lot of the time for those big productions, I mean, like Robert Downey Jr. cost a fortune by the time Endgame came out. You know, all those actors they 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 want a paycheck, and you know what? They deserve their paycheck because they're they're a draw to that series. Yeah. So that just adds up and adds up, and then by the time all of these kind of Costs that aren't necessarily all seen on screen uh, add up. You might not actually have that much money left to make a movie sometimes, right? So that's why well, you can get these really expensive movies that still look kind of cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like Red Notice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Probably probably had to pay you know Gal Gadot, Ryan Reynolds, and and The Rock. You know, fifty million just between the three of them. You know, yeah. maybe even more so, a hundred million between the three of them. Right, but uh, Godzilla vs. Biollante, man, like it's on the screen. Like, there's well, so much cool stuff in this movie. We're lucky because Biollante agreed to work for scale. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's that's my joke. It's a funny joke. I like that one. That one's good. No, there, it, it's all up on the screen. There's a lot of really wonderful special effects. I love the shots of Biollante growing out of the lake. Yeah, it's uh, eerie. It's really, really kind of eerie, yeah. like almost spooky, movie. like yeah, yeah, like a ghost story. Um, and there, and there's so much else going on that you know, even if there's going to be a span that doesn't have really cool special effects in it, there's always like some kind of business happening. Yeah, uh, it's very busy. It's a busy to, film to the point where it's not great like they could probably shave it down a little bit it's pretty it's, long as far as godzilla films go it's 104 minutes but you know that that's pretty long for godzilla that's a lot of real estate for a godzilla movie it does feel pretty full i i bet this movie would play really really great in a theater you know like today like i think if yeah. you just threw this on and if took a huge audience people who'd never seen it before they would be absolutely thrilled by mm-hmm. all of it um this movie was uh uh when they decided to make it after Return of Godzilla wasn't a huge hit, uh, but they decided to do like another anniversary movie. It was only five years later, and this was another one which, much like Jet Jaguar, they were like, "Let's let the people come up with an idea." So they had a contest, to, like help come up with a new plot for a Godzilla movie, and a dentist uh, came up with this idea of a mad scientist who, and, and this is just the plot in the tiniest of nutshells because there's so much more to it. Uh, 
a mad scientist who like uses Godzilla DNA, like leftover DNA from like the side of all the destruction, and combines it with like plants to like house the soul of his dead daughter or something. And a, a, <laughs> Wait, I don't think I don't yeah. think he does it in order to house the soul of his dead daughter, but well, he's not the soul of his dead daughter just happens to show up in these experiments. And the experiment he's doing is he's trying to use uh, he's trying to blend wheat and cactus DNA mm-hmm. so he can grow wheat in in desert climates, essentially yeah. like without having to like uh, provide that much water for wheat and and, and specifically uh, he's doing this for uh, one of the one of the great fictional countries of the Godzilla franchise uh, Seradia, uh which is a Middle Eastern country uh, that is using you know various spy espionage stuff here's where the James Bond elements come in uh, to steal that Godzilla DNA their heists and things uh, and they bring it back to Seradia, and this guy is going to use that DNA to create mutant plants that can then grow in the desert. And th- there's a weird line because he's talking to some bigwig. And uh, hold on, uh, then the Americas will be mortified. Uh, their position as the largest cereal exporter in the world will be shaken. <clears throat> Oh, well, you know what? That that's billions of dollars going to cereal every year. It, it seems guess. like something kind of boring for an action movie. It's kind of, it's kind of yeah, it's like, I, you know, people like complain that like Quantum of Solace is just about bad guys hoarding water. Hmm. And it's like, yeah, but we all need water. I don't know if I, I could do without, I haven't had a bowl of cereal in months. Like, I can do without. I don't know. Anyway, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, really weird. Um, but yeah, there's this opening heist and it's really violent. Like a lot of people get shot and killed. I, I appreciate. I, I especially liked the bit where uh, the guys who are stealing the Godzilla DNA, uh, they're being chased by some other guys, and as the other guys like turn a corner and they're going to run away from them, they could have got away like scot free. As their their opponents, their enemies, if you will, are running the other direction, they yell, "Hey guys, look here!" Like very specifically, not even just "Hey," like just an elaborate mm. sentence <coughs> to make sure I get your attention so that I can shoot you to your face. Mm. Which they do. It's very violent. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's another thing. The movies are getting more violent. Yeah. yeah. Godzilla but, like, gets in his terms hand of, like, impaled in this one, you know? It's like all, it's like a stigmata. Like It's all messed up. Well, the monster mayhem doesn't bother me so much because, you know, Godzilla gets stabbed and something that's clearly not blood sprays out. Like, it's some yeah. bright color. Um you know, and Godzilla has bled before, but it always looks like paint. And I assume that's just what monster blood looks like. Sure. Uh, th- this is just more violent in terms of the actual human violence. Yeah. Um, and speaking of human violence, uh, when the uh, when the mad scientist, the best kind of scientist, uh, is in Seradia and he's going to do all that research, he's had his daughter with him. And then his lab explodes. And it turns out that that was like planted there by like an American corporation like blew it up mm-hmm. because this is all about like corporate espionage so he gives up and five years later uh, there's a psychic who's trying to communicate with the rosebush <laughs> which is a hell of a hard well, the, cut I gotta tell you I, I did not uh, see I that mean, one they, coming they, they do establish that uh, 
they they at least play fair by their own rules. They say mm. that like all living things have psychic fields, and that's mm. that, that they can tap tap into that, and it's easier to talk to plants because they're less sophisticated. So it's it's a little bit of an odd conceit. I don't think, and you know, we've had psychic powers before in Godzilla movies. Oh no, true. No, we've and we've had we've had gods, we've had the peanuts, we've had all kinds of strange goings on, mm. uh, and that's not. It's a choice to bring it into this new franchise. They didn't have to go that route. But it is kind of cool that they're laying so much groundwork. And apparently this is a character who's going to be in every film in the Heisei era. She was just a breakout smash. Mm. Like everyone liked the psychic. Uh, so we're going to be getting a lot of her. What's her name? Oh, the oh, who is the psychic character? Um, is it, um, oh, is it Mickey Saigusa? I, th- I think so. It's... Yes, that's it. It's Miki Saigusa. She's played by uh, Megumi Odaka. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, she, she's brought in, and she's going to, on several occasions throughout the movie, attempt to psychically communicate or somehow contact or track Godzilla, uh, which is mostly her staring off into the middle distance while the sound, like the, the, the score elevates. But weirdly enough, it helps the film a lot. <laughs> it, I don't know how it shouldn't. It, well, it feels kind of arbitrary, but there's something kind of cool about it. I think it's just, it's a more direct connection to the human story than we usually get. That's it. Um, oh, you're exactly right. I think that's or, it. Ordinarily, yeah. humans just sort of like stand off to the side and watch Godzilla sort of just do his business. Uh, and this time, yeah. Godzilla has a little bit more of an emotional connection. I think we'll get a lot more of that throughout the Heisei era. I, I seem to, it's been a while since I've seen these movies, but I seem to recall a lot of shots of people staring at monsters kind of wistfully as they go back out into the ocean, not yeah. pondering the destruction they caused, but kind of feeling that they're going to miss him this time. Yeah. Like a, you're, I, I'm, there, nothing can fill the Godzilla-shaped hole. <laughs> That's a big hole. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we've cut to several years in the future. Uh, the mad scientist has given up on his Godzilla studies. He's working, still working with plants. Uh, and uh, it turns out that when... Uh, oh God! What the hell happens? Okay, sorry. There's this gets really, really convoluted. Uh, I I wrote down the quote. I vowed to never work with Godzilla cells again, which is a hell of a line for any. <laughs> I love. Uh, I remember that one. I love that one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, if you'll recall, at the end of the last movie, Godzilla fell into a volcano, and there have been concerns that Godzilla could come back someday. Because guess what? It's Godzilla. Yeah. And the movie even opens with an interesting... It, it doesn't pay off the way I thought it would, but like a list well, of all the different levels of Godzilla warnings. It, I, I like that. I think that's maybe a reference to Close Encounters, but the idea of... Uh, yeah, it's kind of this bookending material. It brings tie, ties everything together in terms of what to expect with Godzilla. Because yeah. we know now. We know what we're supposed to expect with Godzilla. What, what is this, the 19th film? It's, mm-hmm. yeah... So like the the first the first wave or the first level of Godzilla warning is some indication that Godzilla is around like a roar or a rumble and then mm-hmm. there's like okay but then there's like a Godzilla sighting and then there's Godzilla movement alarm and then there's Godzilla specifically headed towards Japan then there's Godzilla specifically in Japan mm-hmm. uh, and I thought this they were going to start using this as like a countdown you know, like, Godzilla is coming, here's the countdown, he's like, okay, we've, we're at a Godzilla sighting now, and now Godzilla's on the move, and now Godzilla's mm-hmm. headed towards us. And they kind of lose track of that, but 
it does create this sense of Godzilla looming in a way that I think is uh, uh, pretty effective. Um, so Godzilla, the, the, the volcano is erupted and Godzilla is going to come out and uh, the scientist is becomes concerned uh, okay, wait a minute. This is so damn confusing. Because, um, <laughs> okay, one thing is... Okay, I'm so sorry. There's so much in this movie. A whole bunch mm. of scientists are trying to come up with anti-nuclear bacteria. Like bacteria yeah. that could specifically eat radioactive substances to clear up after like a nuclear disaster or a Godzilla attack. Mm. Interesting well, idea. And this is mo- well, much more about like biological scientific progression than it is about nuclear this time yeah and and i think well keep in mind this this is 89 we're at a point in the world where like the cold war is kind of crumbling it's nearly over at this point that's true yeah and uh there's also it's also based on the real technology which they mentioned in the movie of the bacteria that can eat oil like to take care of like oil spills and we've got bacteria that can eat plastic now too yeah yeah so. Uh, yeah. Did you ever see um, uh, Crimes of the Future, the Cronenberg movie? Uh, yes, yes, I did. Wait, the original little short film or the uh, no, uh, the 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 new the new version? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that's okay. the one about people evolving to eat plastic. That's right. Yeah, like internal yeah. organs start growing in human bodies so they can digest plastic. Yeah. Um. Uh. So Godzilla is erupted, and of course, our scientists, because Godzilla is like the volcano erupted, Godzilla's going to attack. So the scientists immediately runs to his rosebush and he says oh no i need godzilla cells immediately or my dead daughter will die Hmm. so he agrees to help work with the godzilla like anti-nuclear dna bacteria thing and what he's really gonna do though he's not really super concerned with the actual project itself he's going to fuse those godzilla cells he vowed he wouldn't but he's going to fuse those godzilla cells with his daughter's rosebush which will, uh, as some people are trying to steal shit from his lab, more shenanigans, uh, suddenly spout tendrils and kill a bunch of guys. Yeah. And then he's going to, like, run out, and all of a sudden, like, there's this giant, and it looks, we said it looks eerie. Like, it looks like it's an image out of the fucking Conjuring or something. Like, it's super bizarre. (laughs) This, like, eldritch, like, plant, giant plant sticking out of the water. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's really tall. It's, like, you know, already, like, 50 feet tall. Yeah. And it's, it's a plant, but it has, like, a vaguely humanoid body shape. Like, it has kind of arms and a head that's tilted to the side. It looks a little bit like yeah. the living dead. And they shoot it, and it's, like, a lot of steam, and there's light blasting up from behind. It looks really scary. It looks like, yeah, yeah. Tales from the Crypt dish. Apparently, cool. the, the, the actual, like, version of that, the practical setup they had for that, was about ten feet tall. And after the movie was over and they put it in storage... Uh, it became for the various stray cats, like on the Toho lot, their cat mm. tree. Okay, it had a whole bunch of cats living in it. That's what happened to Biolante. That's adorable. <laughs> and I, I, love it. I couldn't find any pictures of that, but I was reading about it. It sounds really, really fun. <laughs> um, and everyone's like, hey, should there be a giant, pulsating, terrifying plant in this lake? And the mad scientist is like, 
Oh, everyone's always a critic. Like, everyone's <laughs> always mad about science. You think something bad's going to happen, and then Biollante, like, destroys the pier they're literally standing on at that exact second. And he's just like, okay, well, that was bad timing. Um, you always question us scientists. And, yeah, then, a ten- uh, like, a tentacle reaches up out of... It's, like, uh, from out of Tremors and, and bites the pier in half. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the, the villains are who have been, like, threatening to, like explode the the because the volcano didn't fully erupt it was like showing signs of eruption and like the bad guys are threatening to explode the volcano and release godzilla unless uh our our heroes give them the godzilla dna so they can continue their own corporate experiments so they're holding Mm. godzilla hostage which is weird and so these guys there's like there's a whole like all right Here's the DNA. Now you got to turn off the volcano thing, which is in this like truck with a whole bunch of flashing lights in it. But then that goes sour as like the uh, uh, the Ceradian like secret agent shows mm. up and starts shooting everybody because he wants it to. And then like the car rolls over with all of like the volcano destruction equipment, and our heroes are like trying to find a way to like stop the countdown with only seconds to go before the volcano erupts and Godzilla will break free. And I I gotta say, like I know it had to happen because we gotta get Godzilla in this movie, but it's kind of refreshing to see a scene in an action movie where our heroes are actually trying to stop a countdown at the last second and they fail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It well, it's it's rare. It's rare that it's not at the last yeah. second. Um, I, I remember the first time I remember being really pissed off about that trope was mm-hmm. in I think it was it was in Goldfinger. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Where, they're, uh, they're in the yeah, bottom, James, bottom of Fort Knox with a nuclear bomb. Yeah, yeah. There's a nuclear bomb. It's got a big you know, light up uh, countdown clock on it. It looks like a big ball. It's it's mm. you know really cartoony, and uh, James Bond turns the the countdown clock off right at the seven second mark. So see, the countdown that, clock says 007. See, that's fun. And that's fun. It, was, it was the first time I was like, oh, come on, that that's that's stupid. No, yeah. no, I will not accept your, your little gag. The one I hate, and the, the, I, th- I find this unforgivable, by the way, is when you set up a ticking clock, it's counting down to destruction. And it's like the whole story is built on it. Maybe the whole episode of TV, the whole movie, something. And then it does tick down... But then it's like, okay, it ticked down to the point where, like, the whole complex is going to explode in 15 minutes. No, that shit's got to happen now, right now. There was the end of season two of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I remember this was, like, just trying to, like, stop Angelus from, like, opening this portal that was going to, like, suck everything into hell. And it was like, oh, Mm -hmm. God. And then the, the, the countdown was up. And it's like, oh shit, the port of the hell is going to open. And then it started opening really, really, <laughs> really slowly. Like, eventually it would be a problem, but like for right now, it's like the size of like a cheeseburger. And it's like, okay, so we have quite a while to close it. And I'm like, that is such a cop out. You, you told, you made us think that this was like, in the, as soon as that countdown was up, doomsday. Uh huh. I also, another fun twist of this was, do you remember the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Sudden Death? Uh, it, that's a most dangerous game one, right? No, no, no. Sudden Death was oh, the no, was uh, hard Die, Hard in a Hockey, Die Hard in a Hockey Stadium. Oh, no, I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't see Sudden Death. Yeah, Sudden Death is actually one of the better Jean-Claude Van Damme films. Uh, Powers Booth 
uh, plays a bad guy who, in the middle of like you know the the big championship hockey game, uh, the vice president is there as like the celebrity guest in like the box. So he kidnaps the vice president, and no one actually like in the the stadium knows the terrorists have taken over and planted bombs everywhere. Only Jean Claude Van Damme knows that, and he is like running around killing bad guys trying not to cause a panic and defuse as many bombs as possible as the timer is clicking down because like at the end of like the game they're going to blow it up unless they get ransomed answer to that and after like John Van Damme starts really getting the shit done and like okay well John Van Damme's might be able to stop us Powers Booth is just like fuck it let's blow him up now and then he does <laughs> <laughs> like he got some of them but like there's no way he got all of them boom 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 nice <laughs> it's a good twist <laughs> Um, so Godzilla uh, emerges. Cool Godzilla score. It's time. We've made it. Yeah. Uh, and and that, he's going to s- slowly start making his way toward Japan at like you do. But uh, it, at first, they got the uh, they got the X2. Uh, yes, the Super X2. They have built, they, they rebuilt yeah, they, it and made it better than ever before. And uh, it's it's shtick this time is not only does it have anti Godzilla missiles, mm-hmm. but it has like a big reflector on it that can catch Godzilla breath and fire it back at him. Yeah, which is cool. It also can now submerge into water in addition to fly. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that this time it's remote controlled. Uh, yeah, that's right. They're, the pilots yeah. are like back at home base, which uh, is the a problem good is- idea. Every mm-hmm. time they reflect Godzilla's breath back at him, mm-hmm. it kind of burns out the reflector, and it can only reflect, like, a little bit less each time. And there's actually, yeah. like, a countdown clock uh, showing, like, h- how many more shots left they're able to sort of handle. When the Super X 2 is, like, brought out, I, again, this is where, like, the John Williams music kick in. It's really rousing. It's really, like, uh, Hollywood orchestral. Uh, we get, like, cool-looking guys in leather jackets, like, straight out of the movie Tap Gun. Like, and it just it just feels like, oh, it's like a Battle of the Planets movie all of a sudden. Like, it's really cool mm-hmm. and really heroic. And, and, and the tone of this movie is interesting because it shifts all over. Like, sometimes Godzilla is, like, this terrifying creature. And sometimes Godzilla is the monster in a cool sci-fi movie. That all these guys in like a, in like a high tech spacecraft are going to fight, and then also mm-hmm. sometimes Godzilla is like, well, something has to stop that giant evil plant. Yeah, well, the implication at first is that Godzilla is drawn to the benevolent spir- psychic spirit of the dead mm-hmm. daughter, who like infused herself in the roses before she died, and now she's like living, or no, not the psychic, just the dead daughter is like yeah, trapped, yeah. is trapped in sort of like the the spiritual space of the roses and the psychic can pick that up. Yeah. But um, she's now fighting like the consciousness of Godzilla because this, the animal is all part Godzilla now. Yeah. And, uh, and the Godzilla influence in Biolante gets bigger and bigger until the point where, uh, one of the characters says there, that is now also Godzilla. It's not like a brother or a sister. Yeah. It's, it's just a second. It's not even the second Godzilla. It's the same Godzilla, the same person. Mm-hmm. And, as we all know, when a monster sees another monster, you know, they're like two cats. They just got to fight. Right. But here's the interesting thing. That's not another monster. That's the same monster. The same monster has to destroy yeah. himself. That, that And that's why this movie, in addition to being like really badass and having a lot of cool action sequences and monsters and things, it's actually kind of deep because it's about Godzilla's inner conflict. <laughs> it's like he's fighting. You're not. You're not. Sometimes, man, he I, understands I don't know if I'm fighting other monsters. Monster. I feel like I'm fighting myself. 
Yeah. That's what I feel like. Yeah. But but a plant, you know. It's worth noting that this movie did come out uh, after the musical Little Shop of Horrors had been turned into a very excellent movie. Uh, and it does yeah. feel like some of the, the overall aesthetic of Biollante as it evolves into a more wild and carnivorous monster uh, has a lot of influence from Audrey too. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. And it, it, we should remind people that little shop of horrors was, you know, it was that off Broadway musical. It was turned into, yeah. it started as a Roger Corman film. It was turned into a kind of a cheeky off Broadway musical. Frank Oz turned it into a feature film. And that movie was a big hit. Oh yeah. Like it, it, was it, it was up for Academy Award. It Soundtrack was, it, was everywhere. Like it was yeah, loving. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big, big deal. Um, it, it, it wasn't like some sort of minor cult hit. Like a lot of people mm, saw that movie. Yeah, uh, there is a scene when, in this bit where Godzilla is emerging and he's about to attack, and like we see like people running to like shelters, and we hear people like you know cutting into the news. There's this interesting bit after Godzilla like ex- like explodes out of the volcano that we cut to like this exterior of Japan, and we hear like really cool contemporary pop music that then stops. Mm. And just says, I'm sorry, this concert has to be canceled immediately because there's a Godzilla. Please follow the-. We don't even see it. It's just, on the- it's a no, funny it's- audio joke. Um, and that was like a- an existing pop hit, too. It wasn't written for the movie. Yeah. So, like, clearly whoever that artist was, I'm not familiar with Japanese pop in the late 80s. But, uh, yeah, that-, that was like an actual, evidently that pop star was, like, exists in the Godzilla universe. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, also, uh, 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 I-, I believe it was a musician, uh, uh, Damon Kogure. Uh, who ha- appears in this sequence with the montage of all like the reporters and things, uh, and it looks like he's like hosting like an Elvira horror show or something. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine if Elvira was doing her thing. Okay, boys and ghouls, we're gonna watch Werewolf of Washington D.C. and then someone hands her a news thing to read, and she starts doing it in character, and that's this guy. And he like he really wanted to be in a Godzilla movie, and he like told people like hey tell him to put me in this he had like a radio show like put me <laughs> in godzilla versus biolante and like they said yes <laughs> they put they made a gag for him and that's really really funny i, I love it i love it I, I, Good. Wish I could i wish i could exert my influence and get in a godzilla movie i think every like any film that already has like a built-in fan base which you know we're, we're living through a decade where mo- that's most movies but if we're going to keep on making these movies mm. that of like based on existing properties, each one should include at least one super fan. Sure. In like not a, with like a one line role or like have a a, a really prominent walk on. Yeah, and they, and they they did that actually with um, Five Nights at Freddy's. Like some of like the incidental actors in that movie were uh, people who. Uh, oh, they were know, YouTubers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were fact, YouTubers, and like they were some of the ones who were like doing like. I'm going to play Five Nights at Freddy's and you just watch me and then like, oh no, I got scared. And that was part of how the, the, how the game the got game, as big as it did. Yeah, yeah how yeah. it got really, really popular. It was like this oh. communal experience. And um, yeah, so they put some of those guys mm. in the movie. Cute. I actually recognized one of them because uh, my son watches him on YouTube. Mm. I have an eight-year-old son. He he knows who Matt Pat is. Yeah, uh, I've heard the name Matt Pat. I couldn't pull him out yeah. of the lineup for the life of me, but... Yeah. He, did you see Five Nights at Freddy's? I did. I, I know he was like a waiter or something, right? He was the waiter, yeah. And he's yeah. like, uh, well, that's what some people say, but that's only a theory. And that's cute because that's his catchphrase. Uh, he, he hosts a channel called Film Theory. Also, Food Theory. and the- They're all theorists. Yeah. Um, one thing we hadn't brought up yet as we were talking about sort of the evolution of 
filmmaking and technology, this is the first Godzilla movie with proper CGI in it. Uh, that's right. There's it, it's just like a stick model in yeah. inside an in universe computer. But yeah, that that was CGI. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, it, you know old old school polygons like. Um, uh, in uh, Return of the Jedi, when they show like this, like digital, like hologram model of the Death Star, and it's you know pretty mm-hmm. primitive by today's standards, but at the time it was hot shit. And so we've got that. We've got like this like computer recreation of what's going on with Godzilla fighting all these tanks, and yeah, good for them. It looks kind of fun. I wrote down Polygonzilla. Oh, uh, hey, which look I'm at very you. proud of. I'm very very proud of that. Um. <laughs> Also, another cool thing is uh, I've noticed because we had some uh, like our sort of animatronic puppetry with Godzilla in the previous film. I think they mm-hmm. improved it a lot. There's some cool like realistic neck movements in Godzilla and some of the close-ups in this one that actually like really like yeah. are, do some acting, which I think is I really like the- cool. Uh, they they also changed the design a little bit from uh, Return of Godzilla. Return of Godzilla, he looked like he had really big eyes and looked a little bit cartoony. Uh, in this one, they tried to make him look a little bit more animal, which yeah. I, I think was an improvement. He's, he's like a little pointier, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a certain mm. uh, uh, aggro quality to him. Um, and apparently who's, who's the suit the, on, was the designed better and was a lot more comfortable for the for mm. the performers. Uh, okay, it's it's the same actor who played Godzilla in Return of Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, Ken, Ken Pachira Satsuma, who actually got his start uh, in Godzilla vs. Hidora. He played Hidora. He also played Gigan uh, three times. Um, so well, that's yeah, why he's and, so good at this, because I love Gigan. Yeah, he, he, he like has a monster suit experience. He knows how to play these cr- creatures. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Godzilla like, makes its way past the Super X, and it starts attacking you know, Japan. Uh, there's this wonderful bit where the Ceradian um, uh, secret agent is like doing cool secret agent stuff, and then he looks out the window and he just sees like out the window of the sky where it's Godzilla attacking stuff, and he's got the best line reading. He just looks at Godzilla at the window and goes, "Damn, it's Godzilla!" <laughs> like he's so like, I uh, hate it's, Mondays. He's like, "Oh, it's <laughs> raining again. I don't have an umbrella." <laughs> like it's just. It's the way James Bond would... Can you imagine if James Bond was in a Godzilla movie, all of a sudden Godzilla attacked, how James Bond would respond to that? Hmm. Like, that would just be, like, how he'd do it. He'd be like, ugh. Blofeld! (laughs) Curse you, kooky bad scientists. This guy again. Whoever that guy was from Moonraker, I don't know. Uh, Xander Xander Drax, that was it. They they used the psychic to... Who had already, like, like... they had, like, flown her over the ocean to try to figure out, like, where Godzilla is. She's like, he's down there. Uh, and they use it, so they try to use her to stall Godzilla. And they put her on, like, the top of, like, an oil rig or a helicopter pad out in the ocean. And she's just, Godzilla's just walking towards her over and over again. Until finally she, like, kind of steers him down. That's, yeah, kind of. It's, and the, and it should be weird, silly, like, it works. Yeah, there's this weird sort of shimmery effect, and they they regard each other. Yeah, that's cool. I I don't know why that shouldn't be something I think think is genuinely cool. I think it's because well, I want to connect with Godzilla. Like mm-hmm. I don't want him to be. I I feel like there's a sweet spot. As much as I love, like the text bubble Godzilla from the later Showa era, like the really ridiculous one who was like best friends yeah, with Angus and. 
Hey, Angaris, go check that out. Yeah, I loved that. That that just made my heart sore. But I also feel like the sweet spot of the character is somewhere between Mindless Monster and that. Like, I don't... I think either extreme is, like, okay once, but if you want to keep a franchise going, hmm. he needs to have more character than just being a monster, but he can't be just some guy. Uh, yeah, you know, he can't just yeah. be some guy hanging out on Monster Island, like, you know, with his kids playing poker with anger is every night. There's only, it's just too, too normal. So I feel like this whole thing where he's a giant monster, he's inscrutable, but there's one person out there who is able to communicate with him. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a reverse flipper. Like one, like instead of like flipper, it's like a great white shark. And like Elijah Wood is just like, yeah, but he's my friend. He eats everyone else, but we're cool. <laughs> Um, anyway, no, no, I, I see what you're getting at because yeah, Godzilla. I think what you're saying is the Godzilla of like the late Showa era mm. had adopted maybe too many human characteristics, and you liked him better when he was semi-animal, like intelligent but still kind of a creature. Like I, I like all the different versions of Godzilla to one extent or another, but I think the best mm. version. It's like, um, like there are a lot of different like characters, especially like antagonist franchises someone like a franchise that's built more around uh you know the frankenstein monster or freddy krueger or michael myers uh they're the one constant mm-hmm. so the movie kind of revolves around them but they do take on slightly different forms like there's the michael myers who's just a soulless killing machine there's the michael myers who's obsessed with his sister there's the michael myers who's part of like a supernatural cult uh-huh. Or there's the Jason Voorhees who's just a weird guy living out in the woods. There's the Jason Voorhees who's the unstoppable magic killing machine. Uh, mm. I think everyone has like their favorite version of every one of these characters. The one that just feels like I enjoy the others. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. But to me, like Friday the 13th Part 6 is Jason. Yeah, that's that's the sweet spot. That's where they that's where they finally like figured figured him out, and that's that's where he was. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure which movie it is. Regarding maybe I haven't run into it yet. Where the, but this is pretty close. Where he is a monster, he is a danger. But you're starting to get a sense that there's something to him, and the fact that the yeah. psychic is able to reach him a little bit suggests that he's not just a killing machine you know like he, he can be communicated with at the very least yeah yeah that's exciting um anyway the psychic event kind of knocks the psychic out for a while uh and uh it's up to godzilla godzilla fights biolante uh and um kind of kicks biolante's ass actually the first time like, biolante like well, explodes into spores yeah and like kind of floats up into the sky and uh Biolante can kind of breathe glittery dust all over all over Godzilla. Um, and yeah, at this point, Biolante has grown essentially, yeah, like like a gigantic crocodile head. It's this big pointy monster. Yeah. Like emerging and, uh, from yeah, like Godzilla flower makes short work pedals too. It looks really cool. Yeah, Godzilla makes short work of Biolante, and then there's twenty minutes left of film. So you're like, wait a minute, is <laughs> that really it? 
Um, yeah, it can't possibly be. Yeah, so so we know it was like yeah, twenty this... maybe in thirty minutes. So it, yeah. Godzilla then starts to rampage as Godzilla is wont to do, and the military mobilizes, and we have all of the the good traditional Godzilla stuff, including Akira Ifukube's military march. It's all yes. in there. Yeah, and uh, so the new plan is to use that anti-nuclear bacteria on Godzilla, which they do, but it's not working. And then they realize, oh, we have to, like, raise his body temperature because he's like a reptile uh, in order for that bacteria to, like, start working in his body. Uh, And as they're trying to figure out how to do that, they shoot him with lasers. It's all very cool. It's all very epic. Um, Biolante comes back at the end. And it yeah, it kind has, of rains down from the clouds and reconstitutes itself. Yeah, and it looks bigger and more badass than ever, and it's really, really awesome. And um, Godzilla and Biollante kick the living hell out of each other, and Godzilla gets stabbed. It gets like mucus all over him. It's really cool. And they yeah, basically the, the, the yellow the yellow mucus is so fun. There is no way modern special effects, no matter how advanced they are, are going to match the glories of spraying Godzilla with glop. <laughs> I miss, I really miss glop and slime yeah. and goo, like actually spraying or, or just fake blood, just getting yeah. that on people. I feel like that's something that's been really, really been missing out of cinema. Goo is gone, unfortunately. And there was yeah. this wonderful era in like the eighties in particular where Glop was, like, super popular. And not just in, like, horror movies and action movies. Nickelodeon had a show. It was a Canadian import. They didn't make it themselves, mm-hmm. called You Can't Do That on Television. Oh, and yeah. It was, it was basically a, a laugh-in, but for kids. Uh, you know, a bunch of sketches. Sketch comedy bunch, show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the kid, it was actually pretty funny. It was surprisingly dark, actually. There was, like, a, a recurring sketch they had in almost every episode that was, like, one of, like, the teen actors. There was, like, one... There were, like, two adults who were in every episode. One person played all the men, one person played all the women. And then there were just a whole bunch of young kids. And um, there was one sketch that they would always do where, like, the older guy played, like, some kind of military general... And the younger kid was in front of a firing squad oh, trying to yeah, talk yeah. his way out of it. And uh, that, that was that's, dark. <laughs> that's Mad Magazine stuff, though. I know. Like, there, and he there didn't were a lot always of... talk himself out of it, too. That's the thing. Some of them <laughs> ended with him dying. <laughs> it was really weird. Um, I remember but, uh, yeah. there was a, far, a really funny Farside cartoon. of uh, It was a guy blindfolded, tied to a post, about to be executed by firing squad, but... The joke is you get a last request. Maybe you get a cigarette. You get to take one final drag before you're you're killed. And um, in the strip, the guy's tied to the post. His cigarette is being lit by, like, the general. So he's also standing in front of the fire squad while he's lighting this guy's cigarette. Yeah. And over the wall on the other end of the comic strip, there's a woman leaning out of a, a burning building yelling, <laughs> fire! There you go. I love so that's, that's, a, that's a you can't do that on television joke. Like, that's kind yeah. of what they would do. Um, that, that's but, one of my favorite comic strips. I love that. But one of the conceits they would have, and it's it's a weird joke if you think about it for any length of time, but um, anytime one of the characters would say the word water, uh-huh. a bucket of water like from overhead would spill on them. Uh-huh. So that was like a, they were kept trying to trick each other into saying that. But also, and I don't know, because water, you say water and you get splashed with water. That makes kind uh-huh. of some sense. But also, if anyone said the words, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. They would be covered in green slime. 
that green slime became the staple. That particular green slime yeah. became the staple of, of the entire Nickelodeon network. That became their brand. They still kind of use that, actually. Like, there's just bit, yeah, little... they still have that kind of splat uh, logo. Yeah, it's, and uh, I remember like they would do like live shows, uh, and they would like that would be the thing. Like, are we gonna are we gonna slime this big celebrity? Oh man, they're gonna get slimed. Mm-hmm. And they even showed you like in one of the episodes like how to make it yourself. It turns out in order you don't just want it to be like slippery, juicy wetness. Uh, and so you, it, it, a lot of it's oatmeal, just green colored oatmeal, <laughs> slippery juicy wetness. Well, it's like you don't just want it to be like. You know, ecto cooler. Yeah, you know, you yeah. want it to actually have some some substance to it, so it feels like gloppy and wrong. If you, mm. you know, you want it to feel like toxic waste. Yeah, you know, yeah, like that's I'm... the kind of vibe you're looking for, and so or or the ooze from Teenage Ninja Turtles. So, yeah, yeah sl- the... slime was a really big part of like children's entertainment of people our age. Yeah, um, so maybe that's why we're wistful for it. I, in yeah. fact, that might be. I think a big reason why we're responding to Godzilla versus Biollante the way we are is mm. is because of the way it looks. It's very tactile. It's well, it's tactile, but it also has the kind of editing and photography that people our age grew up with. Uh, right. This is sort of how adventure films looked. This level of uh, special effects. So I I talked a lot while we were going through the Showa era about how Godzilla movies tapped into something very. Uh, primal but also very childish within the viewer the sort of uh, childish need to wreck stuff to destroy you can relate to godzilla because godzilla is is a force of destruction and that's actually exciting for a little child to watch um i think the showa era is a little bit more universal because they're so old and they're still effective yeah there's a classical quality the heisei era i think that classical quality is absent but in its place is something that appeals directly to us, people born in like the late 70s and early 80s, right. who grew up watching special effects-based genre films mm. uh, that were made at this time. It really does feel like a good fusion of the two, because you've got sort of the epic scope, you've got some of the, you know, the, the overt messaging of uh, the Morishiro Honda era, uh, and you've also got this kind of, especially in this movie, you got this format where... Yeah, it's a Godzilla movie, but also we're doing spy shit and heists. Yeah, there's like, just like some criminal characters who are heisting yeah. the the bacteria. We're all trying to give you as stuff. much movie as we can. Basically, it's not just going to be a Godzilla joint. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really, I, I think those things are, are are blending very very well. You add that with like more contemporary production values, more contemporary, uh, you know, uh, musical scores. Uh, at different editing, the cinematography is a lot sharper. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a damn good looking movie. Uh, Godzilla fights Biollante, uh, and they both die. Uh, Godzilla fights until the bacteria starts kicking in, and he falls into the ocean. And Biollante, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess partly because it was destroyed by Godzilla, and partly because its job was done once again, like, sort of explodes into beautiful spores that fly into the sky. And as the spores are floating into the sky, um, you know that you know that girl who was, like, haunting Biollante, like, kind of possessed <laughs> it? It's like, yeah. it, it's, not like, it's not like you see her, like, as a ghost. You, you do. You see well, her, you see the, her, her face. No, no, I would argue that you don't see her face. I would argue that uh, you see her yearbook photo. 
<laughs> it, it, okay, it's the actress's eight by ten glossy, but I'm yeah, not going to hold that against them. It, no, but it's just it's com- it's a little more comical though because I feel like if it had been like the actor, you know, kind of like uh, half see through or whatever, you know, like a ghost, like a Ghostbusters movie or something like that, mm-hmm. um, it would have read more as oh, I'm a ghost and I'm ethereal and I'm whatever. But instead, it's just her flat, un you know, not motion face. Just sliding up the screen, kind of slow, like, and it, it it didn't have the impact of oh that's really beautiful. It had the impact of that's a little silly actually. Now that you think about <laughs> now that I think about it, this whole movie about a giant rosebush haunted by the ghost of a mad scientist's daughter is a little weird. <laughs> and and here's the thing though: so Godzilla's been defeated, Biollante has been destroyed. There's like 10 more minutes left in the movie. After all of that happens and everyone's like, okay, it's time to wrap this up and talk about what we learned today. The mad scientist gets assassinated immediately. Yes. He's just shot from off camera by the uh, Ceradian, um, uh like secret agent. And then that guy gets in a car and like speeds away. And then our other heroes who weren't terribly important to the plot so we only talk about them, uh, they jump in their car. And now there's a car chase. You just had Godzilla fight a giant plant Godzilla for like 10 minutes, and now you expect me to care about a car chase? The, the it, brass balls on this movie. That, that's the, Clearly, that's what the director was interested in. You said yeah. that they wanted to make a James Bond movie. Clearly. I feel like this was stuff that they allowed the director to do like as a favor. Yeah, yeah. Well, in any case, they, they, they fight... The, the the secret agent who's like the bad guy is vaporized somehow. I was a little hazy on that. He like stepped on a oh. thing and it vaporized him. And I don't recall actually establishing that that was a thing that could happen. Oh, I, I, I recall it making sense, but I forgot what actually happened. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really stick. In, it's like there's so much going on in this movie that what, if they did set it up and maybe they did. Mm-hmm. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> Like, I've moved on, you know? So, it's like, um, it's like I just watched Avengers Endgame. You can't expect me to be interested in Quantumania right now. You know, like, it's just, (laughs) you kind of peaked. Uh, so, it's all, it's all okay, everything's okay, and then Godzilla just gets up, kind of shakes it, he's got, he shakes it off like, oh, god, this, uh, sorry guys, I think I'm fighting some bacteria, I'm gonna go, and he just walks off, and he just gives up. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Godzilla's a monster. He's a yeah. monster, but like, he's like everyone like sees Godzilla walk into the ocean, and they're like, "All right, time to go home." And I'm like, "He's still out there. He could come back literally any second if he wanted to." And we're just gonna like go to back to DefCon Five or whatever the lowest one is. Is, is DefCon One the lowest, or is DefCon Five the lowest? Uh, Def, DefCon uh, DefCon One is the highest. Okay, yeah. So we're going to go from DEFCON 1 to DEFCON 5 because Godzilla is feeling a little under the weather today and turn to the left. <laughs> and that's just the movie. <laughs> mm. We're done. Christ. Uh, so yeah, Biollante flies off into the atmosphere and uh, that's that's Godzilla versus Biollante. Uh, and I loved it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked it. This is my favorite I, so far, yeah. I seem to remember it being a little bit uh, just because of its length kind of getting used to the Heisei era. Yeah. Uh, that it, it felt a little bit... 
a little bit overstuffed and a little bit uh, comparatively turgid mm. compared to what I was seeing in the Showa era. This was back when I was like marathoning through just the Godzilla movies. Right. So uh, like we went from terror of Mechagodzilla to this pretty quickly. And that, that's, that can cause a bit of a bit of whiplash. Yeah. Uh, in any case, yeah, this movie, apparently this movie was a, a, a victim of like bad timing, you know, like a, when like multiple good movies come out at the same time and only one of them is a hit. Mm-hmm. Like when like ET shoved Blade Runner and, and like the thing out of theaters. Um, Apparently, this movie came out at the same time as Back to the Future Part 2. Oh, and that, that was, thing was a monster. Which was yeah, yeah. very, very huge, and that, that just did better. Uh, mm. And uh, so it, it didn't... Well, find 89 like, yeah. uh, was, a, was a pretty notorious year for, uh, like, big hit yeah. blockbuster genre films, because that was the year... Um, uh, start, was Batman? See, it was Batman. Mm-hmm. It was Last Crusade. It mm-hmm. was Ghostbusters two. Yep. Uh, it was Star Trek five. You know, which is a, wasn't a great movie or a huge hit, but you know, it was it expected was, to be, and it did. Yeah. It had like a good opening weekend, and then it petered off immediately. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a lot of these giant hit movies were just sort of flooding into theaters. You know, it was Back to the Future two, and uh, other perfectly good movies that would have like done well otherwise perhaps yeah. uh, were kind of being pushed out and the the most notorious victim of all of that was UHF um, <laughs> is it really is that the most notorious victim yes Is that the one 100%. everyone to this day is mad about to this day every single every single critic I've ever spoken to ah uh, has said, you know, Manola Dargis and I were were lunching the other day and <laughs> we're having a luncheon <laughs> I've never and, lunched and, with anyone before. <laughs> we, were, we were having a three martini lunch, me and Manola, because we're good buds. We go with. Actually, I could probably meet Manola Dargas, so maybe I should should make fun of her. I think you might. Um, no, I don't make. No, you're not making fun of her. I think you're honoring her. She, actually, you know, Manola Dargas is a film critic who's been doing this long, a lot longer than we have. And mm-hmm. honestly, outside of like Siskel and Ebert, because they were on TV, she was probably like the first film critic whose name I knew. Because she was oh, okay. like that Los Angeles Times film critic, like it for a while, and yeah. I just thought she was the fucking best. And you know what? She was, and yeah. she still is. And I've met her once or twice. And I've I I I don't get starstruck meeting movie stars, but I get like you know oh, I don't, I don't really have the right to talk to Manola Dardis. I just yeah, I feel like that's yeah. I, I'm well, I've, no I've I've been in I, in the I, same I, room. Uh... Yeah, I don't belong. We're not worthy. You know. I've been in the same room as like Justin Chang a couple times, and I've always been really shy just because I'm yeah. a big admirer of his. I'm oh, sure he's, he's super just talented. A, I'm sure he's perfectly gregarious and probably talked to me if I approached him, but I was just too shy. I, he, I've 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 met him a few times. He's a, he's a lovely, lovely guy, uh, and right. and a brilliant writer. Uh, I, I think everyone like in their field has like people who they think are the coolest, and if you're not in that field, you probably haven't heard some of the names. Yeah. But if you are, you're like, oh yeah, no, they're the they're the tops. Everyone loves them, you know. Um, doesn't matter if you're a film critic or a dentist or a teacher or whatever. There's people in your field who are just the best at what they do, mm. and you're starstruck by them. Uh, but um, but in any case, yeah. So Godzilla versus Biollante, like it wasn't a big hit when it came out, uh, and. You know, it, it did okay critically, but it actually, like, 15 years later, they had, like, a big poll over what everyone's favorite Godzilla movie is. This was number one. The, this one was. 
This one was, it, it, and then later I, on, I, like I in later ones, it, it yeah, it, it like became like fourth or seventh or whatever like that. But it ranked really high. Oh, weird. I I, I thought I. I thought I'd recall that it wasn't popular. I, I That's the thing, remember it wasn't reading some sort time. of article that yeah, that people didn't like Godzilla at, versus at Biolante. the time they didn't, but like over time it, it kind of grew. And apparently, like after this movie didn't hit the way that they wanted to, they started ex- exuding more um, exerting, exerting, sorry, uh, more like studio influence to try to like guide the franchise. This is almost like a. Um, uh, what was this? Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Kind of thing where like one, a director right, yeah. came in and like just kind of made it their own more than anyone expected. Mm-hmm. And if you're like Sam Mendes doing that with Skyfall and it's a huge hit, everyone's gonna be like, oh, well, let him keep doing whatever he's doing. He's doing great. But if it's not a huge hit, then the studio might be like, okay, we're not gonna let people just do that for a while. So even though uh, the director would return and he would direct another movie and he would write a few more, uh, apparently they. Toho wanted to scale back from this and um, indeed one of the things that they thought was one of the reasons why this wasn't a huge hit was because Godzilla fought a brand new monster mm-hmm. as opposed to one of his greatest hits. It would be like hey we're going to bring Batman back but instead of fighting the Joker or Catwoman yeah, or the Riddler. A new character yeah we met a new character yeah. which they did for Mask of the Phantasm and it wasn't a huge hit. You know so there might be something to that. Who can say? But uh, in any case, yeah, they're they're going to backtrack from that really, really hard because the next Godzilla movie is uh, it's Godzilla versus Ghidorah. King Ghidorah. Yay! King Ghidorah is back. King Ghidorah's back. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's played by Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix this time, and he's going to bring a lot bring a lot of nuance to the character. <laughs> No, no, that that that's in the next remake. This one is. Uh, um, Does he have damage tattoos? Tom Hardy. It's, it's Tom oh. Hardy. We got. In this oh, one. It's Tom Hardy. This okay, that's great. Um, yeah, King Gator is back. Uh, I have. I don't know this. One. I know King Gator, but I've never seen this. I don't think I've ever seen a clip from the new one. Uh, that we'll be doing next week. So this yeah, will be this one version. has a, a this one has a UFO. It has space aliens in it, and it also uh, goes back in time. This is a. This is a time travel movie. Yes. You know what I just found out today? This is a this is a bit of a digression, but it involves time travel. Um So there's there's a there's a really seminal uh coming of age movie that came out in the nineties that I probably sat through twenty times. I wasn't even that big a fan of it. It was just the movie that everyone agreed on and you put it on at like a party or like at school or something. Uh and I don't think Whitney still has ever seen it, but the Sandlot I have not seen The Sandlot. Okay, so The Sandlot, if, if anyone doesn't know it, uh, is one of those kind of, like, nostalgia uh, pieces that takes place in, like, the 50s or something. And it's about a bunch of kids, like, over the summer, and they bond as they play baseball at this one lot, which has a lot of sand on it. Uh, and they get in some misadventures, and they grow up a little, and parts of it are really, really great. Parts of it are grossly sexist and not great, but it was a big, big deal at the time. Uh, it was a huge hit. It had a straight-to-video sequel, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, and it had yeah. another straight-to-video. I didn't see the straight-to-video sequel. It had another straight-to-video sequel, which I also didn't bother with. Today, Jeez, I found right. out for the first time that The Sandlot uh-huh. 3 is a time travel movie. 
<laughs> what? It is like Peggy Sue got married, but the but the Sandlot. Like some guy goes back in time oh, no. and like relives his childhood at the Sandlot with his adult brain. And I'm like, oh no, what? How is that not more known? How would people not talking about that all the, every day? We should be talking about that. That they did that. Hmm. I. What other franchise has done that? Can you imagine just like Rocky, Rocky Six. Rocky was like, I have to go back and save Adrian. <laughs> be amazing. So, uh, but we'll get time travel Godzilla on the next. Thank Godzilla, it's Friday. So um, yeah, yeah, they go they go back in time to the forties and they meet the dinosaur that was going to turn into Godzilla. Like so, like specifically like not like God- not like his great granddad or nothing like that, but like that dinosaur. Like that dinosaur. Wow. Uh, they they don't ever really explain why there's a dinosaur in the 1940s, okay. but there's a dinosaur in the 1940s and it's going to turn into Godzilla. So they have to go back in time and stop the radiation from reaching that dinosaur. That's well, that's what, and that's not even the the main plot. That's just one <laughs> plot point in this movie. <laughs> well, as it sounds like we're in for a treat. So that's coming up next on Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. Uh, if you are listening to this show on our main feed, our free feed, the one with ads, uh, you can listen to that episode. Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah right now on our Patreon page because, again, patrons get all of our new episodes ad-free and uh, one week early for Godzilla vs. Thank Godzilla, it's Friday. Oh, I'm tired Mm. already. Um, But, uh, so yeah, uh, that's that's all there. We also have a lot of exclusive shows. Uh, As I have mentioned elsewhere, uh, my my main computer, my usual computer, is in the shop. and I'm not going to be able to get back for at least a few more days. And unfortunately, the older computer that I am working on is not as good and can't handle like some of like the the podcast like templates that I had set up uh, that mm. allow me to like produce these podcasts as efficiently as as we do, put out as many as we do. So um, we're a little behind on a few of our podcasts. We're sorry about that, but they will be coming very very soon. Uh, and uh, I'm very looking forward to getting back into the grind because we've got really cool stuff going on uh, over at our All Our Yesterdays, our Star Trek podcast. Uh, I want to get back into, we got a new episode coming up of uh, Only the Best International, where we're reviewing every single movie ever nominated for Best International Feature at the Academy Awards, and we're about to do um, the first film in the Samurai Trilogy. Mm, the Sashi Miyamoto, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited. I've actually never seen that one, so I'm very excited to get to that. Uh, and uh, and a lot of other cool stuff as well. So uh, thank you to all of our patrons. Thank you for uh, joining us. Thank you for helping us. It means the world to us. We couldn't do this without you. Uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, if you want to uh, get in touch with us, we haven't done a letters episode in a bit. We'll, we'll do one next week. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can contact us at uh, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Mm. Yeah, send us a physical letter to the critically acclaimed network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. We're on the social medias at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, uh, Rower. Rower.